All right, so what do we got? Uh, so I wanted to do a few quick uh, recommendations. Jump into a new segment. Did you get to look at the doc? Did you see the new segment? If not, it's better. I haven't. I looked at it this afternoon, but it looks like all this new stuff wasn't on there. Good. So. Don't look at it. All right. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll surprise back with to that. the game. Okay. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> really quick, I picked up um, a new graphic novel called The Sender okay. from Image, and it is really good. Um, I think it's exactly what I was looking for. Like sometimes graphic novels can get a little too much, you know, where you just kind of, you don't want to see, you know, them one-upping themselves every right. other page. Yeah. In like what crazy disgusting thing can, you know, they show you. And sometimes I feel like with graphic novels, the story gets lost for the images, you uh-huh. know? Um, and there, there are a few kind of quieter um, series that I really like. Like normally they're like science fiction, like Alex and Ada mm-hmm. is another image comic series that I really like. Um, and Descender is just about a, um, a future world where there are kind of these nine civilizations and one day these like planet sized robots just show up out of nowhere mm-hmm. and they attack the planets and then they disappear and the survivors are terrified now of robots so they kind of outlaw them and um and one kind of early robot uh that had been in stasis for like 10 years wakes up so they went to sleep before this attack happened and woke up after mm-hmm. and now kind of all these Things are, or all these people are after it because it holds some of the same tech that was used in these giant robots. So they think like there might be some connection. And I'm like halfway through, but it's really like, it's really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And makes me think like we are probably six weeks from hearing the inevitable television series that's going to be launched off of it is there who's it written is it written by anybody or is it made by anybody yeah it's recognizable right i think it's written by somebody who is more known in you know kind of the graphic novel and comic world um than than i know Mm. um and so it's like it has all the uh um all the recommendations that you would expect, right. you know, from like other people, other like um, Brian K. Vaughn, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all those people. So Jeff Lemire and Dustin Nguyen. Okay. Um, and anyway, yeah. So it's like, it's, it's really good. It kind of blends in with something that I want to talk about on our next segment, which I guess I'll transition to now. Okay. And this new segment uh, that I'm going to try out, I feel like I feel like this is where just if we want to go to the next level, we got to get some jingles. We've got to get some segments. Uh-huh. We got to get some segment jingles. Sure. Uh, and so this is a peak TV check-in with Justin Blizzard. Okay. Um, so I don't know. I was thinking like some sleigh bells, kind of uh-huh. jingling a little uh, like Casio keyboard thing. 
In this world of peak TV, it can be easy to lose perspective. Sometimes you need a renegade outsider view to cut through the BS and help stay grounded. So I wanted to run through some hot new and upcoming shows and get your quick reaction on them. Okay. Um, this kind of also goes along with our main theory, or not theory, our main discussion uh, topic today, which is groupthink. Yeah. And so we're bringing in our classic anti-group thinker to help break the, uh, <clears throat> break the, uh, what's the, the coalition okay. of peak TV sure. groupthink. I'm going to start with the one that kind of translates from Descender. Lost in Space on okay. Netflix. The updated show. Yeah. Hot take. Are you interested? Going to watch. No. Did you know it even existed before right now? Yes. Okay. I mean, there's been commercials for it all over the place, or at least like web page ads. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what, that's what's weird. Cause sometimes you're like, yeah, I've seen commercials and you're like, wait, does Netflix do com-? And they do. Yeah. They actually do uh-huh. a lot of, uh, just like general television promotion. Right. Yeah. You've been watching the NBA playoffs. Have you seen yeah. a lot of Netflix stuff? Uh, I don't think I've seen anything for lost for lost in space, but, uh, I heard it was bad. Well, here's the thing. So I, I was going to watch it as something that maybe, you know, I could get indie into. Um, oh, really? I thought it was like adult. Oh, so here's the thing. So first, you watch some of the trailers, and it's all about the kid. Like mm-hmm. uh, Danger Will, Will Robinson, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all about Will Robinson. And it feels like, oh, this show's about this kid. And as I started looking at it, it seems like, bizarrely not family friendly like where they don't go full like r but they kind of push limits of like violence and yeah apparently there's like an attempted suicide and some like general language and stuff but also like heavy on the kids stuff and why what like what's your target audience when you make stuff like that and i feel like same thing with descender Descender is rated mature, but as I start reading the story, I'm like, I really want to read this with Indy. Mm-hmm. I think you'd really, really like this. It's, it involves like the robot that wakes up as a kid, and I think Indy would identify with it. And I don't know if like the comic ratings are just being a little extra sensitive. I actually haven't f- seen too much crazy stuff in it that like I wouldn't rate it mature so far. I didn't even know comics had ratings. Yeah, on the back by the barcode, sometimes you see like T for teen, oh, okay, MA for mature, and so yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Did you see Netflix is trying to get into ratings too? Are they? Yeah. So they're starting to roll out ratings. Mm-hmm. Part of me understands and feels like yeah, it's a like most of their shows early on. They they all were pretty much guaranteed to be R yeah. in terms of in terms of their content. It did make me think of like all, all the families that have Netflix, all those conservative Christians, like <laughs> how many of them got exposed to like, well, house of cards, let's check this out, you know, yeah. or whatever else. Um, Westworld. Yeah, I couldn't get into Westworld. So did you watch any of season one? Yeah. Uh, all of it? Uh, just like one episode, maybe. Okay. So why'd you fall off? I just didn't, wasn't interested. I don't know. It didn't grab me. 
Any interest in season two? Nope. Okay. Lisa and I are watching that. I really like it. The Terror. No. I mean, we don't, I don't watch TV. I just don't watch TV. Listen, we're not here about you watching TV. <laughs> we're here to get an outsider's perspective on peak TV. Are these shows that you have any interest in or that you could see? Have we? I guess I have interest in the terror through you. Right. But. Because that, that's a book that I've been recommending right. to you like every yeah. chance I get. But I'm not interested in it. Um, would you. Are you still interested in the book? No. What happened? <laughs> Why would I be interested in the book? Because I've been recommending I've it I've tried forever. reading it like three times. Do, uh, We've talked about it, it before. But you fall asleep. You need to do the audio. No, it's not that I fell asleep. It's that, no, the problem that I have with the terror or with Devil in the White City or with sort of fictionalized historic retellings, whatever they're called, is, I f- is the entire time I'm wondering how do they know this information? And, it, and I remember exactly what threw me off about the terror is he starts like talking about vaginas or something, doesn't he? Like he starts getting super sexual. And it's like, wait a minute. How does he know this stuff, A, and B, why is he telling me about it? Why is this, like... Justin... And then it turns out that, like, he just is, like, making up a lot of stuff. It just... I just... The the problem is not the book. I'm not putting that on the book. I'm not putting it on, mm-hmm. on the author. All I'm saying is I cannot get myself out of the headspace where I'm constantly questioning how they know what they know and why, and why they're writing it. Vaginas are not a recent invention. I know okay? that. So, but I'm just saying, like, I'm reading this thinking, like, this is like a, uh, a, 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 some sort of like historic retelling. And then it starts, like, he starts talking about this guy's like sex life. And it just is like, and like the details he gets into about it is kind of, and then my first thought was like, how does he know this stuff? You know where babies come from, right? I mean, but that's like, not even what I'm talking. I mean, look, I can't talk about it now because it's been so long since I read uh-huh. it. But it's not. It's just like weirdly like personal stuff that just makes me think. You're like, just a prude. This is not standard. Like, hey, this is how people have sex. This is stuff. Approved. Like, this is. I'm thinking like, okay, is he reading? Like, does this guy have a diary? And if this guy, why is this guy keeping such an intricate diary of mm-hmm. these things? You know what I'm saying? Um, Barry. Oh, the, um, Bill Hader, HBO. I mean, I guess I've heard good things about it, but I'm not interested. It makes me think of, uh, gross point blank. Yeah. Which is a good movie. Um, so Elise and I, but I've seen the movie. So it's like, why do I need to see the TV show? Well, it's not because it's not gross point blank. Mm -hmm. Like, um, which, so this is one thing that we will, we will divert. My idea for this segment is just everyone says that this is peak TV time. And this is the time for anybody who is a fan of TV to just be living their best life. And this is a time for anybody who's not interested in TV to get into TV because apparently this is peak right. TV. So I kind of want to do this more on the sense of bursting the bubble of, of this idea of peak right. TV because I know that you're going to be like, haven't heard of it, not interested, whatever. But the one thing that you do do, we've done enough of these for me to say this empirically, uh-huh. is you will get an idea of something, and that idea will be enough to push you off of it uh-huh. in a way that I don't understand. Okay. Because 
gross point blank. Sure, you know, it's a it's a hitman. It's a funny guy who's a hitman. That, no, that's yeah, what that's my take it. is. Yeah, right. that's it. But that's all I see of Barry. I've I've looked no further than that. Yeah. So so that's just my observation. Okay. Um having said that, Elise and I so two things that got me interested about this. Number one, under thirty minutes. That's kind of what I look for now in, in TV shows. Number two, um, the director that we talked about, I think last episode, the guy who did This Is America, Hiro mm-hmm. Mirai, mm-hmm. Uh, he directed one of the episodes. And just on Twitter, I saw people saying like the episode was amazing and Barry ends up being something very different than it started out being. Yeah. Which it starts out kind of leaning into the humor, but... Um, but but it has more on its mind. It's it's actually, uh, you know, I, I want to finish it and maybe I'll report back. But that yeah. would probably be out of the shows that we've seen and I've heard of. That might be because of the length and what we've seen so far. That might be the the highest recommendation I'd give out of these. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of Killing Eve? I've heard of it. Is that sounds like a BET show? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I haven't seen it either. Apparently, it is like a, a killer gets obsessed with a FBI agent who's chasing her, or maybe the killer is an FBI agent, but it involves like some kind of uh, obsession, um, and uh, it's from a lady who helped create it. She made a show called Fleabag which was on the BBC. Uh-huh. It was a comedy. Like a slice of life, raunchy, female-led comedy. That was actually really good. I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but mm-hmm. the little bit that I've seen was, was good. Um, and apparently this show is, is amazing. Uh, Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta was a show that I watched. I don't know if, if Julia and I watched it together, but... I know I've seen a couple episodes from the first season. And again, it just didn't really do anything for me. But I've heard the second season is amazing. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to go back and watch the first season to then watch the second season. So I've started the first season of Atlanta. And again, the thing he has going for it, it is 20 minute episodes. Um, it commits one of my greatest kind of like cinematic sins. Mm hmm. There are a few things that will just like I it, it, Atlanta does such a poor job of it that it makes me feel like it's a joke. And I'm going to show you the scene before I leave today. Mm-hmm. Um, so two things that annoy the crap out of me. Number one, people playing video games in movies and yeah. TV shows. There is no game. Literally show me any footage of somebody playing a video game where you don't see the screen they're playing. You just see their hands on a controller. There is no game that controls like that. Mm-hmm. Not even close. And that is what kills me. You just see like these crazy hand motions or somebody's just disinterested and barely moving. And it just drives, it drives me absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. The second thing, the way that sports is portrayed in TV and shows, especially like sports that people are watching, the gambler by uh that that movie with Mark Wahlberg that I hated mm-hmm. is one of the most recent like uh violators of this. Yeah. 
And the whole, the movie's called The Gambler. You know that this movie's going to involve a lot of footage of people watching sports. Mm -hmm. As a director, I think you should at least watch a sporting event to understand how they shoot that sporting event. If you know you're going to put in your film. I am convinced that the director of The Gambler never (laughs) has ever watched a sporting event on television. Because the way that he shoots it, it's like he's using like handheld on-court footage that people are like watching on like ESPN. Like every player has their own cameraman that follows them around the game. It's infuriating. And Atlanta, like, and I don't know. I don't have a good answer. but. From the very beginning of this episode where it follows like a celebrity basketball game, they have their main character holding a basketball and the way that he's holding the ball, I'm like, (laughs) this guy has rarely ever maybe held a ball. Yeah. And the way that he's just like kind of tossing it and stuff, I was like, this is bad. And I was like, they're they're not going to show like in-game footage of this. Uh And they do. And it is... (laughs) Like, it has to be a joke. You have to see it. It has to be a joke. Yeah. Uh, So for anybody interested, watch the Bieber episode of Atlanta season one. Yeah, I've heard of that. And uh, 10 minutes in, the celebrity game starts. Watch that footage. Mm -hmm. It's insane how terrible it is. Anyway. Uh, So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to season two. Last week tonight. Uh huh. John Oliver. Yeah. Do you watch? Are you interested? Uh, Do you we'll like the watch show? The. How long is that show? Again, like thirty minutes. So they because they put those long segments on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? Is that the whole show? No, I made that mistake too. Okay. Because I'll usually watch if. If I'm interested in it, then I'll watch those usually. Yeah, that's what we do. And I was like, oh, they're putting the whole show, and then they're. There's like 10 minutes before that that they usually cut out. So basically when all, when everyone else, I guess, is watching all these TV shows, we're just watching YouTube videos. (laughs) 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 So it's basically like the YouTube, YouTube videos. And now that the playoffs are on the playoffs, that's pretty much all that we watch. People are forgetting it's peak YouTube time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So all these people who are talking about peak TV, peak TV, peak TV are the newspapers. TV's dead, right? YouTube is where it's at. I'm on the next generation wave, YouTube wave. Yeah. So we just watch YouTube videos. So when, yeah, uh, we, do the, uh, we do the same thing. When John Oliver does a thing on a topic that is interesting to me will watch it but even then like i don't think john oliver is funny but it appears that they have a good perspective on things right and that they do that they research their topics right so that's why i watch yeah i really don't think he's funny yeah i don't really especially at the end when they've gotten into doing these things where it's like well now we've done this like those things yeah. that I turn as soon as it gets to that, I just, right. just get, go to the next video. Like, yeah, I think that at some point you, you get a little tired of like, uh, he's going to make an animal reference, give it a funny name like Bert right. and then yell off to the side at Bert the flamingo. Right. You can't touch that Bert and then go back to his story or whatever. Um, Survivor. No. 
So you started this We've dropped season. Survivor, yeah. It's bad. It is really bad. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think I'm done. I, I don't know how far behind I am, mm-hmm. but... Is it still on? It hasn't, fin- it hasn't wrapped up yet? I think, again, I'm, I'm behind. I left it behind. Yeah. We might be going into the finale like this weekend. But I think one of the issues is like reading into it. Oh, d- did you hear? Uh, I think before the season began that alt-right goon uh, sent in a tape and that got leaked. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His I survivor. Did. I didn't uh, watch tape. it, but I saw the headlines. Right, you yeah. saw that happen. And it just made me think like at this point, this is who they have to be getting. Like yeah. it, it's submissions for. Um, and I, I don't know if like it's just, run, it's just run too long. And now like the true fans who are like real people, like they've all played, you know, mm. um, or they've moved on with their lives. And now they're just getting like people who are, who have been rejected like 14 times. Yeah. Like that's how this season felt. It felt like, oh, I've been applying since day one. I finally let me in, you know? Yeah. For us, it was, it was a combination of the fact, it was a combination, first of all, of how the last season ended and how like clearly tampered with it was. And to me, that was the biggest sort of sin because as naive as it may have been, I saw Survivor as sort of a still kind of true to form reality show where there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, sort of like invisible, Manipulation. invisible hands manipulating things. Yeah. You know what I mean, and that really uh, became apparent with how the last season ended. And then uh, it just was. And they also had the um, that gross, uh, was it like Outback challenge? Or they <laughs> I think that got, was last like, season. The yeah, yeah, like saying the catchphrases, right. right? And that was just like too much for me. So it was a combination of that and the Mark Burnett connection mm-hmm. that I just was like, I can't, I just can't do this anymore. I um, there was a a scene in this season, and I may be like, it may have gotten worse in my memory. But somebody was like, I'm going to go find a hidden immunity idol. And literally, there's like a jug that was dropped yeah. in the middle of some palm fronds. Like, they didn't even try to hide it. They were right. like, and it does make you feel like as soon as he said that, they like looked where he was going and somebody ran ahead and like put it in his right. way for, for him to yeah. find it. Well, it's like you look at the, the immunity idols that Ben found at the end of the last season. And because he found like three or four in a row, or whatever. right? And like one of them is was buried like literally right underneath where he sits to do all of his confessionals. Right. Another one is is like a, like there's an X on a tree and it's just buried in like the trunk of the tree. It's just like the stupidest, <laughs> right? Most obvious places for these idols. And it's like okay, <laughs> okay, we can see that you want this guy to win. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that's it for the uh, current and... I don't uh, think Survivor would be lumped in with peak TV, though. I think people probably scoff at Survivor still. Yeah, I guess I'm using peak TV. It's just like we have so many options. Sure. I, I left off The Alienist because I figured you have, you've probably never even heard of that That's show. a TNT show? Yeah, yeah. It was actually a book that I read. Um, and the book is okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like real people. Here's the one thing that I will say about The Alienist. I only read the book. I didn't watch the watch the movie. 
Um, but with these kind of turn of the century, like um, serial killer movies, like Jack the Ripper mm -hmm. stuff, they are always the grossest like mm -hmm. depictions of murder ever. I don't know if it's because like, I, I don't know if, if it's because like that era just fascinates like people who are obsessed with gore. Like if that's the one unifying identity, it's just like, man, I really love like murder mysteries and stuff. And it's like, who's your favorite, you know, serial killer. Right. It's like Jack Ripper. And it's like, yeah. uh, and, that, and that's just what everybody agrees on, you know? Um, and so of course their idea of murders is going to be, grosser mm -hmm. or if uh, i don't know what it is like yeah and so the alienist i was like oh i'm interested it's super graphic in the book and seeing just reading descriptions of like they didn't change much and i was like i don't want to see like especially i i feel like on cable tv it's it's almost like i feel like they have like a napoleon complex because they aren't allowed to maybe show as much as HBO, but man, I feel right. like they get to show way more than HBO. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I just didn't do it. Cause I was like, kind of like, I don't know if I want to see all that they're going to show. I'm like, right. TNT. Can you believe it? Yeah. You know, that kid had no eyes <laughs> and we showed it. Um, okay. Upcoming shows uh -huh. from the rest of this year. Better call Saul. No. I've never watched Better Call Saul. Now, you did not like Breaking Bad. Not didn't like. You didn't think it was as great as what everybody was saying. Right. I am. I would have liked Breaking Bad if everyone else would have calmed down about it. <laughs> I feel that's why I feel like once Better Call Saul is over, uh -huh. that is going to be perfect for when, you know, you and Julia are like, we can't binge the office again for the third time. What are we going to watch? And you're scrolling through Netflix and you're like, Oh, bear call Saul. It's started. Yeah. Cause I think bear call Saul is a better show than breaking bad for those very reasons. And it avoids a lot of the traps. I think of what people thought, which is like, is this going to be Saul like doing his Saul thing the whole time yeah. or like a weird origin story. It's, it's really good. Here's a hot take for serialized peak TV, for, for the peak TV segment. I don't think serialized TV works. I don't like it. I oh, don't just like it as a format. Yeah. I don't like eight seasons of 20 episodes <laughs> of something. Yeah. Like, you don't have enough story to fill that out. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I will do a mini series of six episodes. That's fine. I would look forward to watching that. But the, the reason that we're never going to watch Better Call Saul is because by the time it's over, there's going to be seven seasons and there's going to be 20 episodes per season or 12 or 15, however many it is, it's too many. Like, I'm never going to want to look at 80 hours of a TV show and be like, oh boy, I can't wait to dive into that. You, you know, know what I mean? Yeah, you know what I will say? I at think, this point, like, it just doesn't work yeah, for me. Yeah, you know, I wonder, I wonder if what you're you're speaking from a distinct perspective of binging you know yeah, like, like but I, I also don't like binging right right and and so but i'm wondering if like because i can remember loving the x-files 
growing up. Yeah. I freaking love the X-Files. And one reason why I love the X-Files is because I I could look forward to it. Yeah. Like, I remember being a kid and knowing, like, oh, Tuesday, A&E has those biography shows. I'm going to watch a biography on Tuesday. And Thursday is going to roll around. I'm going to watch an X-Files. And then when you... You're looking forward to biography shows as a I kid? really was. I really was. <laughs> like, I, that, that is a distinct memory. I freaking love those. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so I, uh, and, and so I wonder if like, again, we, we kind of hit on that a few weeks ago. It's like the anticipation. It's, it's the show sitting with you that yeah. really bonds you to those characters. Right. Absolutely. And if you binge, yeah, you're, you're seeing the, the seams a little bit. Uh, maybe you're just blowing through some stuff. That like leading up, you anticipate after it's over, it stays with you a little bit. And that is key to making that work. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I'm, I'm wondering if that is just like, again, yeah, the, the serialized TV system is for an out of date medium yeah. that people no longer engage in the same way. And so like, you don't need to pad it out. Like, here's the other thing too. Yeah. You don't need to pad it to to fit your four commercial breaks in anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, like why do shows need to fit an hour? That is based on a, from what I understand, right, the forty minute model to to fit in that many commercials. Yeah, it's like yeah, if your TV shows twenty eight minutes of one episode, another episode it goes to thirty two. Like that's what you do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you just tell your story and then you get out. I don't know. Okay. Arrested Development Season 5. Yeah, we're going to watch that. Yeah. So, um, I'd probably say that's that's probably your, your most anticipated show of the whole year, right? I mean, you're actually sure. kind of looking forward to it. Yeah. Although, I'll say, have you watched any more of Season 4? Uh, we, we've just started. We're, we're yeah, working. Yeah, Julia is blowing through it, but I... The first couple episodes are so convoluted and it's so I don't know if it's just like because it's been so long that I've watched Arrested Development and I like wasn't ready for the pace. Mm -hmm. But it just seems very, very, very convoluted and very obvious that like we're shoehorning a story into this format that was not at all written for this format. Um, It is so confusing. Right. I. Did you hear? I read a report where like Michael Sarah, Jason Bateman, and one other per- David Cross, or it could be um, what's his name, Job. Oh, uh, Will Arnett. Yeah, are demanding more money for the remix mm-hmm. season four remix. Oh, really? Yeah. Which to me, like, basically, they're like, this is unsanctioned. We didn't know about it, and. In Mitch Hurwitz's letter about it, he mentions, like, I want to do this remix because I want to make money or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, as a joke. Mm-hmm. But to me, that, was, that just seems so petty. And again, yeah. it made me think again of, like, you know, the, the idiocracy, the kind of, like, the, the, the snarky or kind of, like, burnt out idea or, or persona of, like, a lot of comedians of, like, we have a good view of the world and we're, like, you know skeptical Mm. and snarky about it but then it's like 
wait, you remixed my season? Give me another million dollars. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. please, you're just as petty as the systems that you're probably right. like, yeah, let me make another uh, Mike Judge movie mm-hmm. uh, before I clear up my settlement on my right. previous show. Let me lampoon how greedy these Silicon Valley guys are. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it, stuff like that. You talk about the things that you struggle to get over. That's the crap I can't. Yeah. And your freaking neighbors doing it again. I mean, just <laughs> bizarre. Sitting in his driveway, in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your other neighbors doing the, the uh, nighttime uh, gardening again. Oh, yeah. They've been at it. But their yard looks really nice. Okay. This is what I'll say. They're I, new. They're new. Yeah. I know they're new. I don't like it. To me, their upgrades of their yard because they do like the pebbles and they have like right. the little got like, a bubbling fountain bubbling or fountain. whatever that is one of those high maintenance things that either you have to work really hard to maintain but another owner comes in and all of a sudden that goes to crap and it just looks terrible because you're not like raking your pebbles and you're not like getting the weeds out of there yeah but i mean i'm not doing that for someone else to own i do it for myself yeah but i mean i'm just saying that it's going it's not going to age well that, that well, is, as long as they live there, it'll be fine. Okay. We'll see how long they live there. I mean, um, I'll say this. They're out there every single night taking care of it. So. Night. That's what's crazy. Well, that's what they want to do. I came over here. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, you're right. 13 reasons why. The reason why I put on, this on is they're making a season two. It's the, it's the girl killed herself show. Oh, okay. Are, are, are we just following different suicides now? Like, what, what are you doing with season two? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll be trying to make up for all the, like, bad press they got for the first season, right? Because I, I felt like it was widely uh, held that it was, like, not a good idea, and they didn't handle the suicide thing very well. Which makes me think, like, the way to uh, respond to that it's to not make a season two. <laughs> right. you, you don't then say like, hey, guys, listen, we really listened to what you said. And we just really think that the girl who commits suicide this time really does it in a really great way. <laughs> right. And that all the reasons that she does it are really clear. And, uh, you know, it's a hanging this time. And we just feel like we did it really, <laughs> really well. I think you're going to really like yeah. it. You know, yeah. like what's the what's the pitch sure. on that? Um, and. Listen, I watched season one just to see what all the mm. fuss was about. And, like, it is gross because there are things that they needed to make happen that then just happened for mm. really no reason that feel very exploitative of, like, you know, this isn't anyone's true story. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and on one hand, I get that because it's a fictional show. But on the other side, when you know, like, this is all building up to her suicide, it just creates a dissonance. I'm like, how, how is anybody watching this? Just like one after the other, being like, I 100% love this show with no reservations. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it just seems like a, a complicated thing for anybody to watch and enjoy and unabashedly love. Yeah. It, it just, uh, season two boggles my mind. Although I am very interested in like, is it a new case? Because that is like the most morbid <laughs> thing that I could think of. And how many seasons are they going for? You know right. what I mean? Ugh. Picnic at Hanging Rock All right. is coming to Amazon Prime. Did you see the film? 
Isn't that like a Criterion movie? Mm-hmm. Peter Weir. It's I watch like, it from in like college. the 70s? Yeah. I feel like I did watch that. I feel like maybe I forced you to watch it. <laughs> I forced you guys Does to try and watch it. in the desert? Things. It happens in the Australian kind yeah, of outback. Yeah, I did watch that. Yep. I love that movie. I, I love it. I don't remember anything about it. So much. I do know that I watched it. <laughs> it is just like a slow, meditative, like, you don't get answers. You uh-huh. just get mystery. And it just made me think, why? Why are you remaking this? Mm-hmm. Is it literally just like where everything has to be remade eventually? So and they're so, t- making it into a TV show? They're making it into a TV show, which to me makes me feel like it's going to be about the answers. Mm-hmm. Like you can't make, hey, watch this 13-episode uh, series all about people disappearing. And we're just, ne- and that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. And no answers. Like, it seems like you fundamentally, like, it's going to be like a horror like show. Like The Leftovers. Yeah, except the, except the Leftovers, I think, actually knew what to do with it once they set up their pieces. Mm-hmm. For this, I feel like, yeah, you, you're not going to remake The left Because you're not going to follow these characters, I think, in the way that The Leftovers would. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, watch Sea Oak? I haven't gotten to watch it yet. Oh, okay. This is peak TV time, Justin. Can't Apparently. just willy-nilly Can't fit just in throw another. 30 minutes down the drain. Right. I, I just, I, well, I have to say, I, I was super excited, and then your review <laughs> took some of the wind out of my sails, and I just, I got into Atlanta, and like, in all these shows I'm listening, I'm not really watching, you know, hardly any of these. Sure. Uh, um, Preacher is coming back for season three. Which I think is as miraculous as uh, any of Jesus's miracles, because uh-huh. that that show we did a whole podcast on yeah. season one of that show, and even then it wasn't seen as like a hit at all. I think no, it was not. It was it was not good. Season two, I haven't heard anybody talking about. Yeah, I watched two episodes, and it's it's nonsense. Yeah, that and. 13 Reasons Why, to me, is the epitome of the Hollywood machine. It's like they just started the machine up. You put 13 Reasons Why in one end. Comes out the other end. Mm. Nothing has gone wrong. Nothing has (laughs) changed. So it just, like, moves on down the line to season two, right? (laughs) But then once there's, like, a defect or something goes wrong, they're like, okay, well, we can't do this anymore. You know what I like about that analogy I like the idea of people sitting on the back end of that machine and they're just as surprised as anybody see what the machine spits out. <laughs> and they're like, just letting the machine work. And they're like, season three of Preacher. Holy crap. <laughs> Is this machine okay? <laughs> All right. I mean, just send it down the line. Right. Exactly. Crap. 13 reasons why season two. Jeez. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I feel like that probably is like the role of a lot of like CEOs of, of uh, television channels, you know. What are our demographics say? <laughs> Tim Allen. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Get yeah. him out here then. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, with preachers like, well, we've got to have something on TV at this time. Right. And uh, this thing's not costing us that much money, so whatever. Um. Maniac is coming to Netflix. I have not 
heard about that. Kerry Fukunaga is directing it. Okay. And he did he directed season one of True Detective. Right. Which I think we both agree is probably like the best part of season one. Um the the, the direction along yeah. with the first half of that story. Um and it, it the, the the cast is interesting. It's kind of about a guy in a mental institution. And mm-hmm. I think he kind of goes into his delusions and out of his delusions a little bit. But Kerry Fukunaga directing, I think, is uh, is what interests me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's it. That's that's peak TV 2018. Uh, I think we have one show that Justin is interested in watching, <laughs> Arrested Development. And watch, we'll watch Maniac. That sounds interesting. Yeah. As long as it's not some big, long thing. Mm. I mean, we watched Stranger Things. Yeah. The, the, <clears throat> I wasn't going to fit this in here, but I'll just throw in uh, James Acaster. Uh, yeah. He released four stand-up specials all at once, and that's on Netflix. I've watched three. I, I want to watch them with Elise, although she does not like stand-up, and I know you yeah. don't like stand-up either. Yeah. And, and I realize I don't like stand-up other than it, it has to be performative, and I think he does do like a performance. It's mm. not just boring stand-up. Mm. Uh, so I would highly recommend All right, so <clears throat> the main thing that we're going to talk about is are, are the things that are touched on the, in this game that I sent you. Yeah. Uh, and the game is basically an exploration of the social and psychological theory of groupthink. Mm-hmm. Um, how do people come to, you know, believe the same things and unite around you know, common ideas and goals and beliefs. And then also how does that turn your neighbors pulling in after again, like a five minute trip. Um, anyway, um, how also do like negative beliefs spread through groups like that? Right. Negative. Um, and also like simple ideas versus complex ideas. Right. Right. And the one thing that I want to talk about before we really hit the, the, the main ideas of this game and these ideas uh, was this, I had a conversation with somebody recently and, you know, as people kind of look at our landscape today and generally everybody is quick to decry the level of civility in our conversation mm-hmm. and I don't think that people would really call it this idea of groupthink, but there really is this kind of like tribal mentality that has settled in amongst a lot of people. So like you believe this and you believe that and you guys aren't going to, you know, convince each other. Mm -hmm. So just stay apart from each other because whenever you guys get together, it's just a fight and everyone, no Mm -hmm. one wants to hear it. Right. And And the thing that I was trying to think through And I've not fully articulated my thoughts on this. So I wanted to get your perspective is I, I wonder if people have gotten it confused between what topics are viable for debate and what topics are not viable for debate and are only good for argument. Mm -hmm. And what happens is 
people just get those two things confused or the nefarious. And I think probably the more accurate explanation is that people know what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they're trying to obscure their retrograde ideas about real issues and hide them behind this kind of personal attack. Right. Yeah. So the two um, examples I had, and I want to get your perspective is somebody who says like, Hey, I want there to be better debate and discourse in this society. And I can't believe that we don't have it. And you say, okay, what do you want to debate about? And they say, well, I, I don't believe in gay marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't believe in gay marriage, then largely what you're probably falling back on is a, is a theistic morality, right? Some idea of a moral guide to your universe that's informing your ideas. So if you debate somebody who is pro-gay marriage um, or maybe is uh, within the LGBTQ community uh, and is married, they view that as a fundamental aspect of their identity, right? They can't like pull that out and look at like a diamond, like a prism, right? Mm -hmm. You can't like debate that. That's who they are, you know? So if you say like, I don't believe in gay marriage and, you know, you are married uh, to somebody of the same sex and I want to debate you on that. Well, what if somebody came to you and said, I think that your marriage is illegitimate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to debate that. Right. Right. Uh, and so I I don't know that. And I think there are ideas like that. that I don't know how, how are you thinking you're going to debate somebody about that? You know what I mean? It's, It's like the, it's like the, um, the clip that went around to Ben Shapiro talking about Caitlyn Jenner. And there was like a, a trans activist on the show with him. Mm-hmm. And he's like just spouting off about like, well, you know, if you're born with whatever. And finally, uh, the lady was like, you don't know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and you need to shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I felt like, again, yeah, he is thinking like, oh, well, why can't I just. And they're saying like, this is I like this is who I am. Like, you right. can't just right. debate that. You know, that's this not part up for of debate. It is not up for debate. Yeah. Right. And on the flip side, you have climate change. Yeah, that's the example I was going to that I wanted that I was going to say is I think for me it's most exemplified in sort of the climate change debate or issue where it used to be I mean, I guess climate change is a fairly recent thing, so you can't say it used to be, but like taking care of the environment used to be the debate used to be what's the best way to do it right and democrats and republicans both had different ideas about that now the quote-unquote debate is whether or not we should even do that right whether or not that that concept is even real right so the debate has gone from what's the best way to accomplish this common goal to one side not even acknowledging that it's a goal one side just saying like, no, we just don't even believe in that at all. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think to your earlier point about how like nefarious is that, you know, how much of that is like a blind belief and how much of it is people just sort of manipulating their way into it. I feel like the people who uh, 
benefit the most from not believing it are doing that on purpose. Mm -hmm. AKA the rich billionaires. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, And the, you know, uh, 99% of the people who don't believe in climate change or taking care of the environment or whatever are the people who are just more or less spouting party lines. I tried to break it down this way. I, I, I tried to. So the way that I was trying to work through is like. Point one. Science is our best system through which we understand the world. I think that that needs to be like the fundamental agreement point. On, I think a lot of. Ultra religious people would not agree with that. Well, but but that's what I'm saying. I think then what you get is if someone rejects the basic validity of peer-reviewed science, then you are immediately disqualified from engaging in debate. You don't want to debate at that point. What you want is an argument, right? Well, I mean, why are you trying to take away people's free speech, Keith? No, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? So it's like these people who are saying like, oh, man, you just can't debate anymore. And right. it's like, well, what do you want to debate? Well, you know, I just want to debate that the earth cools and heats in cycles and we're just in a hot cycle. Right. Okay, so you're not refuting the science of it? Oh, no, I don't believe that science has any validity in, in any of this. It's like, no, then you're, you're arguing a belief. Right. Because you can't prove that everything moves in psych that just feels right you know and you're rejecting the fundamental principles of science that are saying like hey polar ice caps are melting uh it's releasing weird you know bacteria into our world Mm. that's probably dangerous there are all these other hazards and threats coral reefs are being bleached like there's all these rising sea temperatures like there's all these things and to debate the validity of that, you can't. You yeah. can only argue right. against the validity of that. So you have to come to it with, an, with a perspective of debate, which is we are both under accepting certain realities that allow us to come together on equal footing on right. a subject. And then we just have different takes on it. Like you said before, yeah, conservative. And liberal, it was like, what's best? How's how's what's the best way to approach this? Yeah. Whereas now, yeah, the battle is, I you need to understand this is real, right? Right. And so yeah, I think that that's all that people are are really complaining about is like my uh, personal belief and opinion can no longer be debated, right? It can't be that's, challenged, and, and and that's what's making me sad. Um, and so, yeah, so as we move in, uh, I kind of summarized it by this. I was like, the fact that your moral views lead to arguments instead of debates should not provide you cover for when you lose a true debate and then you cry victimhood and censorship. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, you, you get shown up and all of a sudden it's like, you're just trying to silence me. It's like, no, your viewpoint is stupid. Yeah, you know? you're wrong. You're wrong. On a objective debate, you're being silenced because you're wrong. That's it. <laughs> okay. Not because nobody wants to hear what you have to say. It's just because what you have to say is definitively, objectively, provably wrong. Yes. And people don't like to hear that. Yeah. Uh, which, which takes us into the wisdom and or madness of crowds. 
If you Google it, you can find it. Uh, right. First, what did you think of the game? What did you think of the f- its function? What, what did you think of its design? Uh, the design... <clears throat> I didn't get the game. I did not understand it at all. I tried to play it the first time you sent it to me. I was doing it on my phone, and I got a couple of puzzles in, and I'm reading all the prompts and everything. And I'm like, man, this is just not clicking with me. Maybe it's because it's on my phone and I'm a little distracted. So I'll put it down and then I'll do it again when I'm like more focused. And I played again this afternoon and I was able to solve all the prop, the puzzles just fine. But I had no idea what they meant really or what I was doing. And I'll say just from like a practical design standpoint, I feel like they the first puzzle they give you is like one of the hardest puzzles. Like the one where you're like having to convince nine other people that they're binge drinkers. Well, that 50% of their friends are binge drinkers. Right. See, even that, I I I thought I was trying to convince other people that they were binge drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> like I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I had to make them all yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I had the I had the complete opposite uh, reaction. I felt that first puzzle had to be that way because it it helped me understand every other puzzle after it. Like once you understand what you're trying to do and how mm-hmm. you can get fifty percent of or, or people to think that fifty percent of their friends are binge drinkers. So the idea is like, yeah, I think there's like nine, right? Mm-hmm. And three people are actually binge drinkers right. out of the nine, but you can get all nine of those people to believe that 50% of their friends are binge drinkers Mm -hmm. rather than just the three by the connections that they would have within their group. Right. You know, and, and that would alter their perception of reality. Um, and I, I found that to be really the, 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 the gateway to understanding then some of the more complex ideas Mm -hmm. of, how groups can influence other groups or how groups can influence themselves, especially for like negative ideas. And like you said, like the complex and the simple ideas. Right. Um, so I guess you kind of answered my, my, my second general question, um, which was, is this a viable and interesting way to explore scientific and social theories? Well, I mean, yeah, I think it is. I just, I mean, maybe not for me. Maybe it's just, I don't know. For whatever reason, it just none of it clicked with me. Like I said, I was able to solve the puzzles just fine. I never got stuck on anything. Like, I guess I under. Well, I mean, it's kind of impossible to get stuck. You just click as much as you want. You can get through it. Right. You you can get through it. I think I think the other thing, too, is there. there's a lot of really good peer reviewed research and articles that are linked to throughout this that you can kind of get further explanation as you go through. And I honestly think a lot of good text. I really like the way that it was written. Um, I felt like it really broke down some of these concepts while also realizing that this is a, a dressed down version of some of the the more complex ideas um, at work. But I think that did actually for me, like help explain a, a lot of what, what we're seeing today and what we've been like, trying to talk about on this podcast a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I would fully endorse the game. Uh, 
just look up the wisdom and or madness of crowds. And I think it does a way better job of explaining itself. So I say, go play it. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, I wanted to now talk about one of the articles that I read and I pulled snippets of. Mm-hmm. Did you get to look at that in the Google I did, Dog? but can we talk about the conclusion of the game first? first? It, it, so it sort of draws you to this conclusion that, unless this is part of the article, it draws you to the conclusion that, so the big problem is that If you're the group think was one of the problems, but the other problem was just being was just like having like a closed was being too closed minded, I guess. So the the first example is like you've got this like one or two people that, that believe the same thing. Right. And they're mm-hmm. isolated in their own little bubble. But then you've got this great big group of people and you're thinking that, oh, well, we're look at all these people. We're so open minded right we have this wonderful free exchange of ideas but in reality it's just this massive closed system right yeah and it leads to uh groupthink right and the way to uh, avoid that is to is kind of a combination of both where it's like you have uh you know the big group also mingling with the smaller groups and the right and the smaller groups are like mingling with meeting groups and they're all it's like you know they all have different ideas and are sharing these different ideas which makes sense but i also think like we were saying earlier when you get to the place that we're at now politically and like uh in our society like i don't think that example works when you're dealing with some of the core beliefs of the conservative or Republican party now, or whatever you want to call it, that are like we've said, objectively false, Mm -hmm. not true. Like I don't see how intertwining that into a, like uh, a group think is, is better than just having the group think by itself. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think the one thing and this was borne out in some of the research that um, talks about turning the negative into a positive is that a lot of times the, the negative connection is built on less kind of social um, and communitive like support and good. And a lot of times those systems are harder to sustain and are easier to like crumble or break away from because the negative ideas that are inherent in those systems. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you follow like, um, you know, I remember there's a story core, uh, episode. And I think this guy has been profiled in, uh, this American life too, of the guy who the, the, the black guy who is like, um, has turned people uh, oh, right. Uh, Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis. Oh, Love and Radio. Mm-hmm. That's what, yeah. Daryl Davis. And I saw another article on him. That guy's still going strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've read some articles of people who have gotten out of like the alt-right and, and all that. And the, the way to grow those. Oh, you know, th- there's also been a lot of talk about the, the collapse of 
um, Richard Spencer and his whole group, right? Like right now, he is basically begging yeah. for attention and money just to keep things going. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Charlottesville, and then it collapses and goes away because the, that community is not built on a social good or a beneficial structure. So I think that there's something that that can be um, said for uh, those systems becoming dominant in a way that the that the negative ones can't be or won't be. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that what they would say is it is through the intermingling of you know being open minded to what the racists have to say out there. Right, it means that you're having a more pluralistic society. But I think that that is like, again, the game tried to simplify between like simple and complex ideas. And that, and that, and I think it's found in the deeper research of what you're dealing with in terms of a simple or complex racial racist identity issue Mm -hmm. and something that is, you know, really, truly open, open open-minded and and meant to be for the benefit of all those people in that community. Mm -hmm. So I think. I think that is because I mean I I am like I'm listening. I know that you you fell off of you know Trump Inc. We we talked about and um and embedded is now doing like coal stories mm-hmm. and they're just deep research and reporting from inside like coal country and the first episode to me was like really I I really want to see how it all wraps up. Because the first episode is basically just like one long disclaimer mm-hmm. of like, you know, I think it's Kelly McEvers is embedded, um, but of her trying to walk this fence of like, listen, I understand the basic exploitation of somebody like me coming into this little community mm-hmm. and stirring the pot because I'm trying to like, quote unquote, understand, wink, wink, you know, these coal miners right. and the, and the humanity that is behind all of their drives and, and desires and issues and concerns with the reality that as you talk, as she talks to one lady, that lady in one breath is like, I'm really nervous and scared for my kids and you know, my home and I just want a life. And can we feed them to, this is all Obama's fault. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, okay, how, how do we walk this line? And I think on some level, yeah, you can't, you're, you're doing a disservice to every side by sitting there and saying like, look, I get it. I, I, I guess, let me move off of coal stories because they're not done with that yet. So I don't want to mm-hmm. impugn what, what they're doing. I will instead go after all the New York Times articles about like white nationalists right. and how it's like, they are... I went and interviewed him. We ordered dominoes. Yeah. Can you believe that? And then they tipped the dominoes guy. Right. Um, I don't care that they're people like me. I get it, you know? And, and I wouldn't wish harm on these people. Like, I'm not going to, like, dance in the streets if they get, like, shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not celebrating that. At the same time, their beliefs rightly set them apart from our society and our community right. and need to be identified as, like, a toxic, tumorous growth within a healthy society mm-hmm. that cannot sustain a like, yeah, they're racist as sin, but uh, I don't see any black people on our streets, so I think we're okay. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, that is not the way to kind of like understand and move forward and, Oh, we'll have more for dinner. And we'll change their mind, you know? Right. Well, and also the idea that their ideas are, there are, are theirs are, are actually not theirs. They're, they're like, they believe that stuff because they were forced to believe right. that by, by liberals or by, yeah. you know, people like talking, like, you know what I mean? Like the idea that like, this is why we voted for Trump. You know what I mean? Like, well, you you voted for Trump because that's that was your decision, right? Like, yeah. like nobody made you do that, right? Uh, and so you need to own up to that. Yeah. And uh, when it comes to like understanding that perspective, like, uh, I can understand that perspective and still come to the conclusion that you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, understanding your perspective doesn't mean we're going to like kowtow to these wrong beliefs yeah just because you believe them to be true right and and that that's the other thing too again like going back to the idea of um oh so yeah i want i want to pivot into this article because i think this article kind of hits on some of this stuff too yeah but anyway i wanted to do you have anything to say no, about yeah, that yeah, go ahead so <clears throat> one of the articles is uh is an older um uh, a, a, an older article that kind of looks at the group think involved mainly in um, government. And so it was kind of looking at Vietnam, the Bay of Pigs invasion, and analyzing what happened in those mm-hmm. um, where groupthink overtook their policies. And created really disastrous results. And these are people who, you know, came from different backgrounds, right? Different education levels and kind of all came together. You think they'd bring different perspectives, but they ended up just like coalescing around a very bad idea. Mm-hmm. And we see that still being played out in like Iraq. Like, you know, you, you think that, especially in politics, that there's like a growth and a learning from, you know, these things. And it's just like groupthink gets replaced by groupthink. You know, it's George Orwell's animal farm, right? Mm-hmm. Let's overthrow these, uh, these farmers and then let's become our own right, uh, exactly. farmers. Um, so I pulled out some, some ideas uh, from this. So these are actual uh, polls from the article. So the first thing um, that the article says is the symptoms of groupthink arise when the members of decision-making groups become motivated to avoid being too harsh in their judgments of their leaders or their colleagues' ideas. They adopt a soft line of criticism, even in their own thinking. At their meetings, all the members are amiable and seek complete concurrence on every important issue, with no bickering or conflict to spoil the cozy, quote, we-feeling atmosphere. atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And that made me immediately think of the white house correspondence dinner mm-hmm. and this like f- head fake towards civility this kind of ruse to be like um hey let's not like get personal here mm-hmm. and talk about somebody's eyeshadow okay mm-hmm. that's is is too far celebration this is a night <laughs> for coming together and honoring each other as as fellow humans right. or whatever and it's like meanwhile like maggie haberman of the new york times is like coming out and it's like 
if somebody dropped a like the piss tape on your doorstep, mm-hmm. you're telling me that Maggie Haberman, you wouldn't immediately go to publish that thing, like mm-hmm. and break that story, you know? Yeah. Like you you would do anything to like g- again break a story or whatever. And now all of a sudden you're trying to be like, hey, civility people. Right. Let's not, you know, and and I think that again, it's it's this maybe sacrificing of this like I don't want to be seen as the harsh naysayer here. So I'm just going to like not speak out against this person or this idea and just let it go for the benefit of like, you know, the collective group. Mm-hmm. Which again to me goes back to this idea of like people decrying civility. It ma- it does make me think like basically are you are really what you're asking for is like tolerance of your like intolerant views right is that really what you're what you're what you're bemoaning right you know and so like you you long for days when like no one would call out the sexist man for Mm. all of his groping and we would just like we just put up with him and just like whisper to each other like oh he's handsy Mm. and just move on with our lives now all these me too people are coming out you know right like it, it, to me, that's exactly what it made me think of, and that yeah. and that's what I hear when a lot of these people like, you know, try to come out and, and, and like bring perspective to the Me Too movement. Let me let me tell you something, guys. In the seventies, it was you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, that's not a tolerant, good society right. that will just like allow people to be uh, sexist, you know. Yeah. Um. All right, move on. Sure. We got a blowout to watch, I should say. <laughs> by, by, by the way, what's the update? I am interested. Uh, it's halftime, so I'm not half-time. sure. They're, we're up by like 10, I think. They being Boston? Uh, Cleveland. Ooh. But James, um, he, uh, he, got, uh, he got like shoulder in the jaw, had to be taken out for concussion testing. Ooh. And they showed it like. 20 times oh of course yeah yeah but uh i mean yeah a lot of that is just it's sort of uh like an appeal to the status quo from the people in power right which is again you know white males basically mm-hmm. and the problem is that uh, that is like you said is is like you're ignoring a large part of the population right yeah. like a part of that status quo is the idea that everyone else is kind of there to serve you uh or that your sort of perspective and wants are the only thing that exists yeah and everything outside of that is secondary or like just not important um another principle of group think um says nor are they, that, that is the, the people in a group, inclined to raise ethical issues that carry the implication that, and then in italics it says, this fine group of ours, with its humanitarianism and its high-minded principles, might be capable of adopting a course of action that is inhumane and immoral. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, again, is like perfectly encapsulates. And I could say that this is true, I think, of any group. So I, I, I think you can both sides this issue, but mainly 
we see it in exactly what we talked about, right? These, um, I, I might even say like, so, I, so let, let's say, um, the, the Trump evangelicals, right? They have so convinced themselves that morally and ethically they are right. They're loving, uh, that they are concerned with what really matters yeah. in this world that they cannot be responsible for all these horrible things that people are saying of like Trump and his, you know, supporters, mm -hmm. especially us good Christians, you know? And meanwhile, you just like pull back a little bit and it's like, you know, like the, um, you know, he just moved the embassy. He just destabilized an entire region mm -hmm. that is now erupting into violence. And you see some Christians coming up and being like, oh, he's foretold in Revelation, you know? Right. And it's like, you are an insane, like, death cult member. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And you get the people. Did you see, like, the Jeffries idiot who was, like, brought over to, like, pray? Like, at his prayer for the new embassy in Jerusalem, he's like... Jews are going to hell and oh, Islam right. is from the devil. And like he, and he talks against like gays live an unhealthy uh -huh. lifestyle or whatever. Like this guy can't open his mouth without like just vomiting, yeah. like just not just banal, but like really hurtful and incendiary like perspectives. Yeah. But if you ask him and his group think people, they would say we are incapable of unethical inhumane behavior yeah because we are christians right you know what i mean it, it's like that to me though that level of groupthink is terrifying and by, but i think that's true in how this guy observes it that it happens easily within communities where it's like no you can't besmirch me i'm uh whatever it is mm -hmm. and i am incapable of you know all this stuff yeah and, we, and we, we've kind of talked about it on here too. Like that also leads to like the overly um, righteous minded individual who is like carrying the issue far further than they need to under the banner of like, I am an ally for you, right? Yeah. I'm a feminist ally. Therefore, let me make your arguments for me. Let me take, you know, it's like, calm down, dude. Yeah. Calm. That's not your role. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you are now like actually working against <laughs> the system that you seem to be uh, support, you know, trying to support. Um, there was a confidence. It was never bragged about. It was just there that when the chips were really down, the other people would, would fold. And this is taken from a, uh, a direct quote from a guy within the Johnson administration talking about uh, Vietnam and basically saying like, if we just show force, they will, they will bow to us. Mm -hmm. And he also in the article makes a, a connection to a real event where a guy was like warned about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and these carriers like went missing and he like laughed. He was like, do you really think they're like, rounding this bend to attack Hawaii. Like at that moment they were. And he, he like he was laughing about it. Like everybody yeah. was laughing about it. And I wrote here, I was like, is this an early version of Snowflake? This idea of opposing uh, of that the opposing view is weak and will back down as you like 
show your force. Like, is that why people are so obsessed with like identifying somebody as like a snowflake? Because they need to be seen as like lesser and weaker and like they'll back down if we just kind of make them feel small. Mm -hmm. Is is that the impetus that you see, especially like in our culture from like a lot of these groups, like just attacking other groups with this like belittling language and like just like obsessively calling them uh, you know snowflake like right yeah, oh they'll yeah. back down yeah all you have to do is just keep yelling at them yeah. they'll fold yeah i don't know it's hard to say what the what the um impetus is yeah what the direction behind that is i, I don't know <laughs> but i feel like it's kind of that right it's kind of like you know my group my identity is strong and all we need to do to win, quote unquote, is to show our force, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Show our force of ideas, show our force of whatever else. It makes sense, like, to a degree, but at the same time, I guess it makes sense. I just can't see myself, like, getting behind that, so I'm having a hard time, like, making the connection. Yeah, you know well, I think saying? these are negative group sure, think ideas, sure, right? Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I don't think that, like, every group is, is going to be, like, snowflaking every other group. Right. But we do see that, I think, like, and again, I, I, I would maybe connect a lot of the groups that I am most kind of negatively impacted by are evidence in, like, the same group think that that's covered in this article of, like, um, ultra-conservative, like, military might, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, the, the, the next point they make in, like, group think is basically morality. Um, and it kind of coincides with what I said before, where I think like people are confusing their morality with like objective principles, you know? Yeah. Ben Shapiro has this false equivalent that anything he says is a quote fact and that that fact doesn't care about anyone's feelings, mm -hmm. but he's inputted so much feeling in how he's interpreted that quote-unquote fact that he's lost perspective you know mm -hmm. and he is standing on like a he is largely standing on moral stances that are not in any way like objective fact right well in order for ben shapiro to to truly believe the things that he believes or, or that he says if like he honestly believes those things he has to be terrified of the outside world right yeah and and that is pure emotion right he right. is operating purely <laughs> out of like animal instinct, instinct. Yeah. like <sighs> like like just being like 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 uh ace getting scared by the homeless guy exactly That's ben shapiro exactly. he has to be terrified to like believe the things that he believes to the degree that he believes them he has to think that like waiting in the woods outside of his house is like a like Hamas, right? Ready to like break in and murder his family. Right. And that, you know, gay marriage is going to somehow like decouple his own marriage. Right. Um Yeah, so I I don't I don't know what it is. He's but I think it's this. I think I think it's like people get their morality confused with, uh, you know, s something objective. And it's like you could 
try, I guess, if you want to debate a social issue, you could try and find something to debate. But if you look at like his body of work, you know, as he's gotten a higher profile and people have actually started to pay attention, which is still a minority of people. I mean, I think that he is big in a group, but he is not. I, I don't think like changing the culture at large. Sure. Um, but you know, as people like have, have uh turned a a, a an an eye on him, they, they found like his article rap is crap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like rap is crap. Like who are you? You know, like right. what are you arguing for here? Uh and it's basically just somebody not understanding a whole culture and being terrified of it. And seeing everything in it as a threat to him mm-hmm. and society and writing a super like emotional article right. that people then can share and be like truth teller or whatever. And, and somehow twist that into like a fact, you know what I mean? Like he's telling it how it is, which is exactly what you hear from like the Trump supporters. Like, oh, it's like they tells it how it is. Mm-hmm. No, he tells it how he sees it. Right. You know what I mean? He doesn't tell it how it is. And if you think that he does then you're falling for somebody's perspective. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're trying to like attach fact to that. And you, you just, you can't do it, you know? Yeah. If I wanted to debate that, I couldn't because I'd say like rap is not crap. Th- th- I guess it's the end. I actually have kind of in my lowest points, usually in the restroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thought like, what if I debated Ben Shapiro? Uh-huh. And I know exactly what I would do. Uh-huh. I would basically stand there and run clips of what he said previously, and just use my time to like show tweets that he sent, and just not say a word, and just like let him debate himself, because right. he said enough out there that like if you just let him speak for himself. He's contradictory. He's emotional. He is nonsensical. You know what I mean? Um, I also want to give a shout out to uh, one of our, I, I would say our number one fan, Max. Um, he called me the other day and he usually calls me uh, when he takes his dog out for a walk in the woods. Uh-huh. And he called me kind of given him the Frankie teardrop challenge. While he well, okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is maybe what I want to do. He called me kind of late the other night and I was like, isn't it late? And he's like, he's like, yeah, I thought you might say that, but he's like, but I'm in the woods, man. I was like, yeah, you're in the woods. It's like terrifying. He's like, the woods is the safest place to be. Yeah. He's like, no one's in the woods. What and about it, animals though. Right. Right. Animals. But you know, he has his dog with him too. And Yeah. I don't think where he is, it's not like huge bear territory or anything. Um, and so I was like, that is, you know, I guess he's right. It's all perception. You know what I mean? Probably the woods is the safest place to be, generally yeah, speaking. Yeah, potentially, but I'll say this. Uh, a couple weeks ago in the woods over here, there was a man shitting his brains out. Yeah. With a dog. Yeah, but I mean. So what if you walked into the woods and saw that? Yeah. You know, if you see that again, he probably wouldn't know where he was. I think I, I'd, I'd be more scared well, of stepping let in. Let me it. just clarify that that man was me and I knew exactly where oh. I was. <laughs> oh I'd just God. eaten a bunch of Hooters wings oh. 
and I got home and I had to take the dog for a walk and I knew I was not going to make it all the way home. <laughs> oh man, somebody is going to find that. Um, all right. The last thing that I pulled here. Um, the woods is still scary though, because you, you, I'm not worried about some random guy being in the woods. I'm worried about Bigfoot being in the woods. Yeah. I'm worried about a werewolf being in the woods. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. He said, you watch too many horror movies. I was like, uh, touche. I'm worried about a random homeless guy singing gibberish at the top of his lungs being in the woods. Mm-hmm. Speaking of not being able to make it, I really have to pee. Yeah. All right. The fourth uh, kind of identifier of groupthink are stereotypes. Victims of groupthink hold stereotyped views of the leaders of enemy groups. They are so evil that genuine attempts at negotiating differences with them are unwarranted, or they are too weak or too stupid to deal effectively with whatever attempts the in-group makes to defeat their purposes, no matter how risky the attempts are. Um, <clears throat> the assumption of inherent... Oh, is that a separate one? Oh, yeah. And they have a separate one. Uh, the assumption of inherent morality helps the members to avoid feelings of shame or guilt. Negative stereotypes function as stress-reducing devices to enhance sense of moral righteousness as well as pride in a lofty mission. You know, what, what I took from this in the stereotypes, uh, the, the, the main ideas are, are this effect, is the reality that, you know, from an in-group, you see the opposing uh, as uh, evil, as either weak, too weak, or too stupid um, to really, truly, again, going back to the idea of debate, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that uh, negative stereotypes um, also, like, help us to feel better because they are, in some ways, deficient to us, right? Mm -hmm. They're just, like, to be pitied at most. That's what, you know, I think that's the biggest response that I get is, like, if ever I bring up something that is seen as like liberal, you know, people will like pity me. Oh, you're, you're, you're just a bleeding heart or whatever. You know mm. what I mean? And like, that is a way to minimize me and to make them, you know, feel better, uh, you know, about themselves. Um, and then lastly, well, I think part of that is, is too, is because it's dismissive and because right. they no longer have to think about it. Right. And, and it's this idea of like, um, that, that in group, uh, is the one with moral righteousness and have a pride and a lofty mission, mm -hmm. which I think is, again, what you hear. So we, we, you know, talked about that last This American Life. How many times in like pulled from these people's mouths did you hear them say some version of grab your musket and go fight for freedom, mm -hmm. right? It's this like lofty, ideal like a a time that like never even existed really in the way that they have in their mind mm -hmm. of like fight the time in our country when we fought for things that mattered it's like what war are you talking about there the civil war where we fought each other <laughs> over slavery like 
are we are you going back to what the vietnam war like what war are you imagining like is it going all the way back to the redcoats like is that the is that the war you have in your mind you know when you're saying grab your musket and fight for freedom you know it's it's just it's a absurdly lofty mission that has nothing to do with today you know it has nothing to do with like seeing somebody who disagrees with you as like a person it's only to see the other person as like a insurgent mm-hmm. uh threat or um again somebody that is like too stupid ben shapiro one of the books he's read is like how to debate a liberal mm-hmm. or what you know as if like that is like a species you know what i mean like he might have written like how to domesticate a dog you know, here are 14 principles to get your dog to stop crapping in your house. Right. You know what I mean? And you can use that to debate any liberal. Uh, it's just, it is absurd. And the fact that, again, a pushback against that idea is seen in and of itself as like, <laughs> teach their own man. You're mm-hmm. right. You know, it's like, no, I'm not debating something that right. is just yeah. like, has an opposing uh, an opposing view to it of like yeah you do you it's like you just push and they just retreat and that but they but they claim to have held their line mm-hmm. it's like you haven't held a line you've just retreated all i've said is a statement and you've just backed up and been like okay man it's like well no can you can you give me a pushback on that or is it are we just going as far back as you can run you yeah. know with that, b- before you have to say something like objectively in response to, you know, being like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. I-, I always go back to Truman Show, like where um, he's arguing with his wife mm-hmm. and she's like trying to sell like items while right. she's arguing right. with them. <laughs> and, and he's like, who are you talking to? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> like. Who are we talking to here? Because right. you're not talking to me. Yeah. Because I'm right here. You're talking about some something else, some idea that you have in your mind. You right. know. Yeah, I think the I think, like we said earlier, I think I think it's it's become a matter of arguing over like the existence of an issue rather than debating the best way to handle that issue, right? You know, uh, equal- marriage equality, I mean, I don't even know how you could debate marriage equality, but it's no longer, it, it's, it's no longer, it's not, an, it's not a debate about what's the, how do we best empower everyone for marriage? It's, well, some people just shouldn't be allowed to get married. Right. Right. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You don't believe that? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, we can't. So, get some past people that. shouldn't be able to raise kids. Are you kidding me? Right. So it's like, <clears throat> and that is, to me, that is a symptom of the, I guess, sort of the political uh, environment that, that the people, that politicians have created. You know, the idea of a liberal and a conservative or a Republican and a Democrat are just they're literally just labels that are used so people can 
feel like they identify with some aspect of politics without actually knowing anything about them whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? And so it's and so that's why they've become these platforms that people just cling to like sports teams. And it's like, yeah, I'm a Republican and you could go down the laundry list of what quote unquote Republicans believe and they're either not going to know what you're talking about or they're not going to like agree with half of them. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> well, what actually makes you a Republican, right? It just is this thing that people are manipulating to get your vote. Well, I think that this game has something to say about that, which sure. is which is why I, I would encourage people to play it and to read through it because I think that, you know, here, here's the thing too. Because <clears throat> I think... What you, what you would then get in response to maybe what we're talking about here is like that article that I showed you in the New York Times, which is like, hey, liberals, you're not as smart as you think. Right. You know? And it's just kind of like, hey, you're going about this in an arrogant way as if to say like other people don't get it or don't, but hey, we do get it. Right. Mm. And, and it's like, that, that's not what I'm saying. I think what I try to do is identify just that every we're all in our groups, right? I'm not out here saying like, "Hey, man, I'm the only one banging like uh, an original beat here. Mm-hmm. All you other, you know, like zombies are just pounding on the beat. You need to listen to me." Mm-hmm. But what I am saying is, the group think that I have become a part of that I've engaged in is something that has can lead to more constructive benefit for all, all groups, right? If we could all just like come together and leave behind these principles of in-group thinking, mm-hmm. right? We are under threat, right? I don't believe that. I can, I can objectively say that I don't think that I am under threat from anybody in any group that I identify with. Mm-hmm. You want to go to like a Christian identity group, you want to go to a white American male identity group? Like, I am not under threat. That, to me, is a positive, like, identifier. Like, that's not a negative thing to, to, to believe in, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and I think that that corresponds to the reality that we all live in, which is, like, we're not under threat. There's not, like, rioting in the streets. Mm-hmm. There's not, like, people trying to kill you at every turn, you know? Um, and, and to me, I always say, like, I don't care what you disagree with me about. Just show me that you're curious about it. Show me that you have a spark of curiosity to, like, explore that idea. And that that idea is not just being birthed out of, like, listen, my dad shot guns and I shot guns. And my daddy's daddy shot guns. And if you think that I'm going to shoot somebody just because I own a gun, it's like. I'm not saying anything about that, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm not saying anything about your heritage. I'm not saying anything about, like, your, your desire to shoot somebody. Although a lot of times if you talk to somebody, it sure seems like they want to shoot you if you talk about, like, gun control. <laughs> right. I, be like, I actually do think that if you had a gun right now, you'd be holding it to my head, you know? Right. Um, it, but I wasn't, a- I wasn't thinking that until you actually started talking to me. <laughs> When you start screaming about how you don't want to shoot people, it made me terrified for anybody in your vicinity. But, you know, and to me, that is like the thing, like gun control is a perfect example, right? Like 
All I'm trying to do is look at shootings, look at the amount of mass shootings, look at the guns that are used in the mass mm. shootings, and saying, like, it's too much. It's too much. Like, or even ask the question, like, do we have a gun problem in America? I mean, that to me was like uh, the question that sent a lot of people who were debating uh, with me on social media after Parkland, like just sent them into silence. Like, and again, I've said like on social media, silence to me means like retreat and defeat, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and a lot of times like, yeah, I was like, I was like, listen, regardless of everything else, do we have a gun problem? And it was just like, yeah, I was silent because that, that shows a lack of curiosity if you don't even want to engage with that idea. That question, mm-hmm. do we have, let's talk about that. But, it, and, and again, the people who would argue with that a lot of times are the ones who would then quickly jump on like, it's movies, it's video games or mm-hmm. whatever, which to me, again, doesn't show curiosity. You don't really want answers if that's where you're going. You know what I mean? Right. So to me, I don't know, man, that, that, that's what I think. So it's like, it's not about being like a know-it-all or being like, uh, um, or, or not, not even having like a high view of yourself. Like, I don't mm-hmm. at all. But I'm just curious about these things. I'm just connecting dots. Yeah. You know? And the people who come out and yell against me when I try and connect a dot are usually the ones who are signifying to me, like, I don't have a point. Right. And so I'm not going to go that way. Like, I haven't thought about it, but I'm really angry <laughs> and I'm just going to yell. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, then why, why am I going to debate you? Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm not better than you, but you're just screaming. Right. And you're not offering anything to debate. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap up with this, uh, because the battery's about to die. Yeah. And I do not feel like getting the charger. I'm actually done. But have you, uh, have you been following this Cheesecake Factory thing? <laughs> no. <laughs> what is the Cheesecake Factory thing? So I don't know how big this is, and I'm not totally sure how I came across this. Um, I believe it came from a Daily Wire article, which is Ben Shapiro's website. Oh, I was looking through his Twitter. That's how I saw it. And... uh so there's this story from the Daily Wire about this black guy who was in Cheesecake Factory wearing a MAGA hat, right? And he says he started getting he he started getting he started getting threats from the staff of the Cheesecake Factory. And in the Daily article, Daily Wire article, they describe it as uh, the white staff at the Cheesecake Factory were like making fist fight gestures towards the man like he like they were going to beat him up right Mm. i didn't read the whole thing again i don't know how legitimate it is but uh, somehow that led me to ann coulter's twitter (laughs) (laughs) and i just wanted to read these two tweets from ann coulter please do the first one says Hey, at Cheesecake, have you seen this story? Exclusive. Cheesecake Factory employees attack black man wearing MAGA hat. The tweet immediately following that from Ann Coulter. You should give this guy cheesecake for life. (laughs) 
Ha, 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 ha.